Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Welcome to Maxed Out. We are continuing this series about, hopefully, how not to get maxed out. But if you are maxed out, these are some tips and techniques that we can use to pull ourselves back away from the edge the right way without going over and to de-stress, to make room for meaning and God in your life again. So this whole series really was, was put in place after the holidays when, when most of us get stressed out. You can admit it. You're in a safe place. First service, I forgot it was February. I thought it was still January, which shows how my December went. So if you're happy that the holidays are over, Take a deep breath. You're in good company. Me too. You can admit it here. So we're talking about what to do if you're maxed out, how not to get maxed out. And today's sermon is on rhythm, routine, and order. Oh, man, sounds like a bore. Who would ever want to talk about that? Well, I'll tell you, this guy. When we put this sermon series together, I said, I want to talk about that. And I'd like that to be the message that I get to share at all three congregations, not just at Vine. And Cameron said, go forth and be a nerd. And so that is what I am here to do. We're going to talk about rhythm, routine, and order. And here's my goal. My goal is today not only to convince you that this is not dry, this is very spiritual and very important, but also to convince you that there's an element of the divine in this. Something very godly is entailed in bringing rhythm, routine, and order to our lives. Does that sound good? Excellent. Let's talk about Isaiah 45, 18. We're going to come back to this verse a few more times in this message, and I hope by the end it means a little more than it did at the beginning. Let's read it. Well, I guess you don't have to read it. We already did the creed. That's enough. I'll go ahead and read it for all of us. For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and the earth. He put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. We're going to unpack this verse, and we're going to apply it squarely to our lives this morning. But first, let's have some fun facts. Who likes fun facts? Yes, I do too. We're going to have some fun facts about how God put the universe, specifically our world, in order. We're going to talk about everybody's favorite, anthropic constants. Yay! This is just fancy speak for things that have to be so for there to be life on earth. And if you'd like to look more into this, I've, I've cited my source here, and it's a really cool book. But let's just run through some. They're actually really cool. Let's talk about the oxygen level in the atmosphere. Did you know it's 21%, which is good? Because if you pushed it up to 25, we'd have spontaneous fires. And if you dropped it down to 15, we'd all be dead, which is a negative. So we need 21% of oxygen. Atmospheric transparency. This keeps solar radiation at the right levels. You don't want too thick an atmosphere, too thin, can't be more transparent, can't be less. The moon's gravitational pull. If there was more, you'd have catastrophic tides. If there was less, you'd have catastrophic orbital variations. So this is necessary for there to be life on Earth. How about gravity itself? If gravity were altered by 0.37 zeros, and man, that was oddly difficult to make happen, by the way. Yeah, I like had to like run my thumb along all the zeros to make sure I got it right. Anyway, if you altered gravity by 0.3710%, 
the sun wouldn't exist and neither would we. In fact, that's so incredible. I was reading The Case for the Creator by Lee Strobel, which is one of my favorite books, and Lee Strobel was interviewing a guy, and he said, man, that's a tiny amount. And the guy said, yeah, you're right, it is. And it's even tinier than you think. Because if you think of all the four strengths of gravity in the universe, that's barely a turn of the dial. Way smaller than it even looks. Anyway, so you can't alter gravity and you can't alter a bunch of other stuff. We need the centrifugal force of planetary movement. Who hasn't pondered that to be a constant? We need the expansion rate of the early universe to be exactly what it was or else we wouldn't have a universe. The speed of light has to be a constant so that different laws of physics can be so. We need the water vapor levels in the atmosphere to be where they're at. And Jupiter's orbit, this surprised me. Jupiter is our cosmic vacuum cleaner. Jupiter picks up all the asteroids and comets that would normally just wipe us out. So, strangely enough, thank you, Jupiter, for having the orbit you do, keeping us safe from certain doom. Odd. The thickness of the Earth's crust has to be just so. Why? Seismic activity. You don't want to swim in a lake of lava. Important. Earth's rate of rotation has to be just so, and so does Earth's degree of tilt on its axis. There is so much rhythm, routine, and order. Structure is another way to talk about this. In the cosmos, the even atheist philosopher Fred Hoyle said this, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as chemistry and biology. Why would an atheist say that? Well, almost under duress because there is so much order, so much structure, so much rhythm. There is no better explanation. Now, granted, he didn't throw the God thing in there. Seems like a super intellect was as far as he would go, but good enough. It's an astounding amount of order. And he mentions the word biology there, doesn't he? This is also fascinating. Just like God seems to have placed all this rhythm, routine, structure, and order out there, he's done that in here. The Bible says that the Lord God formed man from the dust. This is similar to the very first theme in Genesis, which was, was the earth was formless and void, and then God did what? He formed it. God is in the habit of doing this. We're going to come back to this later. But we've got all this formless void dust on the ground, and the, the word formed there has the idea of God grabbing it like a potter and squeezing it and shaping it into place, giving it form, giving it function, giving it an identity, separating it out from this mass of dust and making something intentional. And the things he made, specifically us, but all life, are so intricate, I, I really can't even get into it, but I want to suggest two books. Is that okay? I hope you guys are interested because I put them on the slide, so I'm committed now. Here they are. Darwin's Black Box by Michael J. Behe. This guy was not a Christian. He's a doctor, and he's a microbiologist, and he was just astounded by the intricacies of life. And he began to question whether or not this evolution thing could be true because of all this complexity. Now, I'm not having the evolution versus creation talk right now, so don't, don't put your dukes up. It's not that Sunday morning. Don't worry about it. This ju book just shows the amount of amazing order in us and in other organisms of the world. So does his follow-up, The Edge of Evolution, which is so nerdy, I couldn't understand large portions of this book. But that wasn't my goal. My goal was to be astounded, and this book accomplished that goal. And if you would like that too, I suggest getting these books because the order of the universe is astounding. But the rhythm, routine, order, and structure in every life form on Earth is so amazing. 
that the materialist co-discoverer of DNA, Francis Crick, said that an honest man, armed with all the knowledge available to us now, could only state that, in some sense, the origin of life appears, at the moment, to be almost a miracle. <laughs> so many are the conditions which would have had to have been satisfied to get it going. People who look at the rhythm, routine, order, and structure of the world that God made are dumbfounded. And whether they want to or not, they are almost driven to postulate a higher intelligence. Something must have done this. And in fact, we know that God did. Because when you look at the facts, you have to conclude that God loves rhythm, routine, and order. Everywhere he goes and everything he touches, he brings this stuff. Rhythm, routine, order. It's not a place of empty chaos. He did it for the whole world, actually. Look at the very first covenant in the Bible. What does God tell Noah? He says, hey, the rhythm and routine of the world is going to go on, man. He says, as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, rhythm, routine, structure, order. Perhaps this is what it means. Well, let me say this too. When God separates a people for himself, they get this in their lives. So it's not just out there, and it's not in here. It's in their existence. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you. He makes the nation and gives them rhythm and routine. Every day has a rhythm. It's evening to evening, not morning to morning. Every week has a rhythm based on this thing called a Sabbath, which you must observe. Every year has a rhythm. It's punctuated by different festivals and feasts and holy days, which they are commanded to observe. And it doesn't stop there. The years are broken up into seven-year chunks. What happens on the seventh year? You give the land a rest. Yes, God actually cares about that kind of thing. And then seven years isn't good enough. Every 50 years was another marker. The year of Jubilee was a total property reset. And then you start it over. An amazing amount of rhythm, routine, structure, and order. Even in the long term, the Israelites knew where they were situated in the covenantal history of their people. They knew where they were at based on the creation of the world, the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, the covenant with David. You are here, little X, and there's this other covenant coming that's going to issue in this new age. Everything in their life was rhythm, routine, structure, and order. And that was a good thing because that's what God does. Because the Lord is God and he created the heavens and the earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I'm going to say something about this verse, which is curious, but it frames the whole rest of my sermon. And that is that I think, if you're like me, you insert a word into this. I'll show you. For the Lord is God. He created the heavens and the earth and then put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in. In our minds, we kind of put the then in there because we assume that creation means making something out of nothing, which the Bible certainly says that God does. God absolutely made everything that we see materially. He caused it to come into existence. But we're thinking like 21st century Americans, which is okay because we are. But it's important to know that the person who wrote these words and the people that read these words thought that the creative act 
was the bringing of rhythm, routine, structure, and order. They thought that he created the heavens and earth and put everything in place was one thought. That's what it meant to create. And if something wasn't ordered, it wasn't yet created. I'm going to back this up with the rest of my talk, but it's very important because this is why we feel like we have no life. <laughs> Which drops us right in the middle of the Maxed Out series once again. Fun facts over. We're now in the talk proper. Good morning. Who's ever said, I feel like I have no life? Go ahead, raise them high. It's great. Isn't it weird? I tell you what, <coughs> sometimes my wife will ask me, Anthony, how was your day? And I will say this. You don't have to raise your hand if you actually say this, but one person admitted to me they do. I've said, babe, I feel like today didn't even exist. How was your day? Oh, God. It was, and what I mean by that is it was so busy with stuff. I was doing things morning to night. It was packed, you know, basement to rafters with activities and have-tos and obligations. I feel like my day wasn't even there. Well, you just lived it. That's why you're tired. What do you mean it wasn't there? Well, what do I mean? When you say you have no life and you say that because you're so busy, how can you not have something that is taking up all your time? In this area, I think we're a little more ancient than we might want to admit. I think we're actually on to something when we say, I have no life. And I want to talk this morning about how you can get one. Because this might actually be true. In the ancient world, something was not created if it wasn't separated out as distinct, given a function, and given a name. If it didn't have those criteria, it wasn't really there. And this made something very strange possible. Under this idea of creation, you could actually have a non-existent entity, which is totally bizarre. We don't think about this at all. Either something exists or it doesn't, and we mean it's there or it's not there. But they meant, is it ordered? Does it have function? Does it have a purpose or not? And if you want to see what they thought a non-existent entity was, you can. There's an object lesson. You can go on a field trip, if you want, and go see a non-existent entity. Are you intrigued? Non-existent entities are like deserts and oceans. They're vast. They're uncharted. They're untamed. They seem random, purposeless. They have not been separated out as anything distinct. They don't seem to have any function or purpose. They're wild. They're dangerous. To the ancient people, these were areas that had yet to be created. They were non-existent entities, even though they were there. Isn't that weird? But do our lives ever feel like that? And if you're maxed out, you probably feel like this. If you don't, awesome. But I'm going to talk about why that might be and what we can do about it. Because non-existent places were thought to be realms of chaos. Chaos was very real in the ancient world. It was a thing that was bent on bringing disorder and destruction. And it had a kingdom, and that kingdom was all the unformed, unnamed, functionless, purposeless places in the world. The heroes of old would go into these places and bring order. That's why they were heroes. They were creating things. There were monsters in chaos. I'm going to argue in a minute that we have a chaos monster running rampant in our lives specifically now in this culture, that it's real and we need not to take it for granted and we need to destroy its habitat. Does that sound intriguing? That's going to be the last thing I talk about, of course, because it sounds the coolest. But here's the takeaway. 
if your life feels like it's in chaos, that's because it might be. If you feel like you don't have a life, maybe you don't. Maybe it doesn't really exist by this criteria. So the answer then would be to make it exist. I am telling us all, me included, that we need to get a life. With an emoji, because that's harsh. Get a life. How do we do that? How do you make something exist that's non-existent? Well, if something doesn't exist, if it's not separated out, doesn't have a function, and doesn't have a name, conveniently, you can make things exist by separating them out as distinct, giving them a function, and giving them a name. Purpose is another way to think of this. Can you structure it? Apply that to our lives. Can we structure our life? And so now, I'd like to ask you if you're ready to know the cosmically significant secret to rescuing your life from the kingdom of chaos and bringing it safely into the realm of existence. Can you guys handle this? I barely made it when I found out for myself. This is like six months fresh for me. This is where I'm at. Here it is, guys. This is the secret. It's a planner. It's actually planning your time. Thank you, Jesus. Mind blown. Oh, my gosh. Yes, seriously. <laughs> Absolutely serious. All that dramatic buildup was for a daily planner. And you know what? I unapologetically mean exactly what you just saw on the screen. Actually writing down, separating out, naming your time, and giving it a function. Whether you do it as a habit or not is up to you, but I would suggest doing it at least once or twice. You don't have to spend $60 on a planner. Get a piece of notebook paper. Print something off off online for free. I've got some in my backpack if you want one. This is important, and I'll tell you why. Because rhythm, routine, and order are our friends. I've spent most of my life rebelling against the very thing that I have recently discovered I need to thrive. I thrive with rhythm, routine, and order, and I fail miserably without it. I used to think, don't box me in with that structure stuff. Don't plan things for me. I don't want to have to do anything. You're going to make me do stuff. Oh, oh rebellion. I want to be free. Listen, parameters are not the opposite of freedom. Freedom only happens inside parameters. If you don't have parameters, you have chaos. Chaos, besides being full of monsters, one of which we're going to talk about, is massively stressful. So rescuing things from chaos giving them rhythm, routine, order, will decrease your stress. Who isn't down for that? That sounds good to me, and I need it, and I am doing it right now. I want to close. It's going to be a long, drawn-out close. And then I'm going to pitch the mic to Dan to make sense of it all at the end. That's my plan. Is this the first you've heard of this? Good. You're going to do great. Excellent. So the benefits of order. One, ordered things are a better thing. That's not a typo. Two, you'll do the important things. And three, you'll find the nothing. Let's talk about the first one first, which is a good thing to talk about first. Ordered things are a better thing. Who has heard the analogy that the difference between charcoal, it's actually graphite, and a diamond is pressure? Has anybody ever heard that before? That, uh, does that bother anyone else? Does that seem like slightly snarky and weird to anyone else? It bothers me a lot. And I think that's because it's not true. It's not pressure for crying out loud. You take a chunk of graphite and you put pressure on it. What happens? It breaks. It shatters, man. That stuff, besides being cheap, it's fragile. 
what happens if you put too much pressure on a human being? It breaks, and it's hard to fix, and it might not ever be the same way it was unless God works a miracle. We don't want to put too much pressure on people. That's not the goal of my talk. The difference between graphite and a diamond is how it's structured. They're both just carbon. That's it. But the graphite has disappeared. But the graphite is layered. You have carbon that's bonded to each other, and these layers which are strongly bonded to each other, but weakly bonded to every other layer. So each layer is a thing, but it's barely attached to the thing on top of it or beneath it. Has this ever felt like your life? I got this, and then I have this, and then I have this, and it's one thing on top of another, and more and more and more, and I don't know how much more of this I can take. And you have all these different disparate activities, and you put any pressure on that thing, and it's going to crumble. The way it's ordered is messed up. It's weak. It can't withstand pressure. But the way a diamond is ordered, which diamond is just carbon, graphite is just carbon, but the diamond is ordered to withstand. Diamond is the hardest thing you can find in nature, man. That is made to go through it and come back again. Not only is it valuable, it's durable. It's hard. It can, it can take it. Those things are ordered like a fortress. It's just carbon. They're both just carbon. But one is kind of ugly, cheap, cheap, common, and fragile. And one is beautiful, durable, and valuable. The difference is how it's put together. This is important because I'm telling you that you don't have to add anything to your life or take anything away to take it from a graphite-ish existence to a diamond-ish existence. I have to throw the ish on there because you know, I don't want to promise that everything's going to magically transform, but I can promise it'll be better. I can promise it can be less stressful and more durable. I can also promise that the baby is still going to get up early. <laughs> the dishes will still get dirty and work will not go away. But if you order them, if you write it down, separate out that time as distinct, give it a function, give it a name, suddenly it's not just layered. Actually making a written plan stops these tasks from layering. And you can structure them together. You can make them work. You can see it. You can fit them together instead of just pouring one thing on top of another, which is massively stressful and fragile. Does that sound good? So ordered things are a better thing. Let's talk about number two. You'll do the important things. Now, how do I know you'll do the important things? Well, because you're already busy rescuing your life from the domain of chaos, right? You've got the sheet of paper or the planner, and you're deciding what needs to get done and when things need to get done. So you're going to do it. I trust you. You can do this. Why is it important to do the important things? Because has anyone had a day where you did nothing but fulfill obligations, nothing but do the have-tos, which are important, which have to get done, right? You have to do the have-tos. That's why they're have-tos. And at the end of the day, you feel like you wasted your time. Why do you feel that way? Why do you feel suddenly bummed out when you think about all the things you could have done? Because you didn't think that do the thing that was important to you to do. And I don't know what it is. Maybe working out is a goal you have, and it always seems to get edged out. Maybe there's a book or nine or 74 that you've been meaning to read, and you just never read it. Maybe you want to write, and it never happens. You've got to do that important stuff, man, or you'll still end your day, no matter how busy it was, feeling like you didn't do anything. You have the power to do that. So says the man with the mighty mustache, Brett McKay, from artofmanliness.com. Let's hear it for that mustache. Not really. 
he points out that when you take charge of your life, you can probably control two times of the day with certainty, mornings and evenings. Some of us cannot control when we go to bed. I hear that. But most of us can. And if you can control when you go to bed, you can probably control when you get up. I think it was ex-Navy SEAL Jocko Willink, who's become quite the character nowadays, was talking to a guy about getting in shape. And this businessman said, Jocko, I'd love to get in shape, but I can't. I travel a lot. I'm always in hotels, and they don't have gyms. To which he said, what is stopping you from getting up and doing burpees in your hotel room at 4 a.m. until you puke in the trash can? And obviously the, the answer is, I don't want to do that. So, well, okay, well, you don't want to get in shape. You don't really want to do the thing that's important to you. You need to resolve that first because you're the thing that's holding you back. Does getting up at 4 a.m. actually sound like fun to anyone in this room? Not really. No, but I'll tell you, I've had some of the most productive times in my life when I had something I knew I was going to do at 4 and I got up and actually did it. By 8 o'clock that night, dude, I was tired, but I felt like I was winning. And that's important. Structure, rhythm, routine, order, take charge, rescue that time from chaos. You will do the important things. And lastly, you'll find nothing. Nothing is the chaos monster that is eating and sucking the life out of people in this generation. I'm absolutely convinced of it. It's been epidemic for generations past as well, but this is the generation I happen to be in, so this is the one I'll comment on, if that's all right. I have chosen to personify nothing with this character from Dark Souls. That's right, which looks pretty innocuous in the game, actually. It makes these ploppy bleeping sounds, like bloop, 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 and then it just kind of reaches up with its little weird thing and sucks the life out of you to death. Right? And I feel like this is a pretty good representation of chaos, or excuse me, of nothingness, because it looks pretty innocuous and almost innocent. You kind of sense that it might be dangerous, but come on, that thing, and then it kills you. I might be making too much of this, you think, but I don't think so. C.S. Lewis personified nothing in his book, The Screwtape Letters, where he has the master demon tell the apprentice demon this. Nothing is very strong. Strong enough to steal a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and knows not why, in the gratification of curiosities so feeble that the man is only half aware of them, in the long, dim labyrinth of reveries that have not even the lust or ambition to give them a relish. But once chance association has started them, the creature is too weak and fuddled to shake off. Now, he was writing before YouTube and before Facebook and before Tumblr and before the internet. He thought nothing might be whistling tunes you didn't like and kicking your heels. But we have so many more tools for nothing to use in our life. It's almost frightening. I got this quote. I have read the screw tape letters and I highly recommend it, but I got this from a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be which is a book all about sin and what sin does. It's written by a guy named Cornelius Plantinga. It's a good read. And he says that you can shape your whole life around the pursuit of nothing, capital N. And a life so formed is like a yawn at the creator of the universe. It's like telling him with every moment of your existence, you have made nothing of interest and redeemed nothing of consequence, not even me. Nothing is a nefarious monster that will suck 
the life out of you. Our friend here, you might remember her from the planner slide. I think it's a her. I don't know. Could be a guy. We'll just refer to it as them. They have done a really good job of planning their time Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Does everybody see that? But Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, if we zoom in close, I have a feeling if we just peer, yep, oh my gosh, crawling. <laughs> just crawling with nothing. It's all, it's an epidemic. It's an infestation. Orkin is going to have to be called in to deal with all that nothing. <laughs> How do you have a productive Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday if chaos is all over four days of your week and nothing is just running rampant? Rampant. I don't know what to do right now. Phone comes out. Computer opens up. Walking around calling people. I don't even know. What do we do when we don't do anything? The time goes somewhere, and we feel weaker and drained afterwards, right? But even we don't really know where the time goes sometimes. All of a sudden, it's like 10 o'clock, unless you're playing Skyrim. Skyrim is like a portal to another dimension where nothing rules supreme. That's true. <laughs> one of the reasons it's one of the greatest games ever made. Sad. Anyway, that's another sermon. I want to make a point here that I am not saying we don't need diversion. Fun time, fun stuff. By diversion, I actually mean what it sounds like. Time where your brain gets to check out from all that stuff and just have fun. I'm saying there's a difference between that and nothing. If you're young and you're single and you can be productive 10 hours a day, just imagine that. Doing stuff that's important to do, important to you and important to everyone else. Work, personal goals, all that stuff for 10 hours. And you want to schedule six hours in the evening that you separate out as a distinct entity and you give the function in the name World of Warcraft. Maybe we should talk about your priorities. I don't know. <laughs> I'd actually be more curious about how you're managing to get a block of 10 hours of productive time. But in any case, you've rescued that from the domain of chaos by separating it out and naming it. It's not a nothing time. Now it's a scheduled time to do that. And you can reevaluate the schedule. You know exactly where that time's going to go and when. And then the nothing does not get to encroach on your other time. Nothing is important to avoid. Have fun. Schedule in time to have fun. Not just time to be productive. I, Jordan Peterson, I think, is the guy that's always like talking about personal schedules and cleaning your room. And he says, don't tyrannize yourself. My goodness, when you make a schedule, come up with the day you'd like to have. But don't treat yourself like a tyrant. Schedule in some fun for crying out loud. You need that. Don't forget that. But don't allow vast chunks of unseparated, unnamed, functionless, purposeless time to crop up in your schedule or you will get your butt kicked by nothing. And nothing normally affects people that don't have a lot going on more than it affects people that have a lot going on. That's a really weird thing. But it's important not to let it suck the life out of us. So let's look at our verse again maybe through new eyes. For the Lord is God. He created the heavens and earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. Well, there might not be another, but we are made in his image, are we not? So we can image God, we can mirror his divine activity by making our days our weeks and our years, a place to be lived in, not a place for empty chaos. Separating out the time is distinct, giving it a function, and giving it a name. It's not dry, it's not so practical it hurts, it's deeply spiritual, and it mirrors divine activity.